Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 FM WFNZ. Straight fire. This is the Wesson Walker Show. Even the crowd knows what's coming next. Wes, I don't know what to lead off with, man. We got so many things to talk about today. All all across the board, this is the type of show that writes its own rundown. Yeah. I just don't know how to organize it. Usually, it's how do we create content to talk about something different, but we got so many different storylines to where now I just need to figure out how to organize it, what to lead off with. We have Terry Rozier getting traded within the last couple of hours. I thought that was going to be something that might be a footnote. Miami trade rumors are ramping up, but no, the man is gone. He's going to the Miami Heat, and I thought we would only lead off with the Panthers having a new general manager, an old familiar face, and Dan Morgan, not only familiar from his playing days, but he's been a part of the regime the last couple of years, and people are not so happy about it, but we got a lot to talk about today. No doubt about it. You got that, Callahan going to the Titans, and then, uh, you know, the T-Road trade, everything. WWE Raw going to Netflix in 2025. It's just news (laughs) dropping out of the sky everywhere you turn around, man. So we got that, too. Did you want to lead off with SmackDown, or should we lead off with Dan Morgan? No, we lead off with the local stuff, but I had to get that in because I know I'm not going to have much of a chance to to, to get that little detail in today. So that was, I mean, that's huge news in the sports world. I think that's maybe the first league to have their content exclusively on a streaming platform now. So, yeah, man. We have stuff. we also have people writing in on the text line about Wake Forest falling oh, to North Oh, yeah, I Carolina know I was going to get that. Well, yeah, you that that was what was going to happen for sure. After you tweeted <laughs> out, you, you were so confident yeah. that you decided to put it in written form yeah. on Twitter. Wake is going to beat North Carolina. Yeah. And after the first half, going to the locker room up one, yeah. it looked like it was going to be a tight game. And then in the second half, North Carolina went crazy. Mm-hmm. Wake Forest did not. And it was a good old-fashioned beatdown those last 20 minutes. No question about it. And the thing that I will say, you know, yeah, I was confident because I thought that offensively Wake would present challenges to North Carolina that they didn't run into like that as far as having four to five threats on the court at a time. But the thing was, Carolina's defense, let me take my hat off to that. It's no joke. I was sitting there during the game saying, what the hell did did uh, Hubert Davis tell Elliott Cadeau for him to be a young player playing such good defense like this? And I knew early on when Wake had to work so hard for every basket that they got. And then I thought about the NC State game afterwards when Coach Forbes was talking about how guys were playing selfish and not passing the ball and moving the rock. And Wake is in the bottom tier of the ACC when you talk about assists. And it's a lot of hero ball. It was, all right, Hunter Silas, all right, let's see what you got. Now let's dump it in the car and let him back somebody down for 15 minutes and see what he's got. All right, now, Boopy, what you got? And that's not going to work against a team that's as good defensively as Carolina is, uh, shooting the ball well, R.J. Davis and those guys. They put together four or five stops in a row, man, and they come down and get eight to ten points. 
you're done. So, I mean, hats off to Carolina. Like I said, the home team has split the last, I believe, seven of these matchups. But Carolina looks like a juggernaut. I knew that coming in. I just thought that my Demon Deeks could go in there and have a shot. Yeah, you see that, no, Carolina fans? No. I gave credit where it's due. I'm not going to hate. You guys are for real, for real. You want to pound your chest a little bit, Fitty, at all? Grab the mic. He told me to wait until today. I told him to make it entertaining, so I got big expectations. <laughs> well, you know, the, the biggest part about today was you were going to have to talk about your team getting its ass kicked while wearing a North Carolina jersey and pants. <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah, I forgot that. And, I forgot about this again. Yeah. All right. And yeah. and and. <laughs> I really so hope bad. Walker Mail doesn't fail his partner the way he failed me today. Because I texted him at 4.30, West. He keeps making a big deal about the time. Remember yeah. his jersey. I I had the shorts ready to go. already had them washed, dried, was just sitting there waiting for you to, to wear them today. And he came in, shows up early, earlier than normal. Got here like at 10.18. Man, I forgot the jersey. You saw me at 10.18, but go ahead. And um, <laughs> so, it's, 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 I mean, it's not even as fun as it should have been getting here to... Look down well, at you know at, at little brother 2.0 while you're wearing that beautiful Carolina mm. blue. Um, it's just not going to be as fun. You're a good team. You're not a great team, and you got to learn to win on the road in the ACC if you want to become. Yeah, a great I agree team. with that 100. Well, I'm not going to fight him. Well, hold on, but but we because we have so many things to talk about. We can give North Carolina Wake a little more shine while Wes is wearing the North Carolina jersey tomorrow and the uniform. And so because of that, you're welcome that we're going to give that more shine. It was actually all planned. I knew Terry was going to get traded. I knew Dan Morgan was going to get the GM job. And we'll focus on that as we get off to the bus. Mr. Angry Bus Driver, go ahead and pull up to the scene. Open up the doors. Let's get off the bus, Fitty. <laughs> we look good getting off the bus. I got something to say. We'll talk more about Terry Rozier being traded to the Miami Heat in exchange for Kyle Lowry, his expiring salary, a first-round pick in 2027 that is lottery-protected, and then unprotected in 2028. We'll get to more of our takes and initial thoughts a little bit later on in the show. We do need to go in chronological order of the big news happening in the Queen City, and we will start with the news that broke yesterday. The Panthers have a new GM. The Panthers named Dan Dan Morgan, the team's president of football operations and general manager on Monday. This is a part of a restructuring of the front office that sees the former linebacker take over the personnel operation. I do like the first line written by Darren Gant on Panthers.com. The Panthers are bringing a new approach to their front office, even if it has a familiar face. And that is the skeptical part of all the Panthers fan base that is not in favor of this move. Wes, we've talked about it. We discussed going for an outside name, not wanting anybody that was involved in the terrible years of the Carolina Panthers the last few seasons. Under the Scott Fitterer regime, they just could not get enough talent in here to compete, even if we thought that that offseason, it was going to be a different regular season because of the decisions they made, and that time and time again was not the case. How frustrated should Panthers fans be watching Dan Morgan get promoted to GM and president of football ops? I mean, you know, I'll try to give you a little optimism. As I said, you never know how a guy's going to do the job until he actually does the job. But, however, when you're a part of a regime that was 14 and 37, that's what Scott Fitterer was in his three, in his three seasons as a GM. 
of games played, they won under his stewardship. And so when you look at Dan Morgan, that's his man. They talk it over. I'm sure that Scott would bat ideas off of Dan Morgan. And Dan Morgan, I'm sure, had a role in a lot of what went on here as far as personnel brought in or his opinion was definitely held to a high degree. And so if I'm a Panthers fan, I just don't want anything to do with the losing that has been happening here. I'd like a fresh start. And it seems like the Panthers are halfway in, halfway out. It's like they're taking the leftovers out of the refrigerator and, you know, warming them up so that that you can eat them. So it's kind of fresh, but it's not. You know what I'm saying? And so that's how I would look at it if I was a Panthers fan. But you talked about before when his name was being thrown around that he's viewed by many as a potential star in the making at that position. So if he comes in and he's a star, okay. But just as far as the optics and what he was a part of previously doesn't look great for the Panthers, in my opinion. Let's go to the text line. Bagel Guy writes in, Walker, please explain how does anyone on a 2-15 and team get promoted? We had that from Bagel Guy. We have a couple of other texts coming in. 336 number says, feels like another yes man to David Tepper. Uh, We're scrolling. We're scrolling for more text messages, and there are plenty of people that aren't thrilled by this. I'm going to give Dan Morgan a shot. We have no clue. What happens a lot in these situations is despite the close-knit group, whether it be in the front office, whether it be a part of an offensive staff or a defensive staff, There are guys that do get promoted and put their own stamp on things, Wes. We've seen this constantly. The example that I'll use just because Buffalo was in the news cycle all day yesterday after their loss to Kansas City. Think about Ken Dorsey and Joe Brady working together and Ken Dorsey getting fired as the offensive guy. But Joe Brady was on that staff. Joe Brady gets promoted to an offensive coordinator position and that offense does change. And they play differently by running the football a lot more. They weren't throwing the ball downfield as much because they were worried about Josh Allen's turnover prone ways, except when they would throw downfield they were a little more effective in doing so you can have little tweaks that do change in a big old way and that's how buffalo was able to run the table the way they did in order to get to the postseason but that is a way different example right it's just the one that is at the forefront of my brain because the buffalo bills are in the news cycle we can see this happen constantly where somebody gets that job and puts their own stamp on things maybe that's what happens with dan It's not some player that is getting this award, getting this title because he has history as a player in the organization. Dan Morgan's put his time in. That's true of Dan. This is not something that has been just gifted to him. You might not like his work, but he has put in work. He's been with the Seattle Seahawks as a scouting intern since 2010 before staying in Seattle through 2017, eventually working his way up to director of pro personnel. He then goes to the Buffalo Bills in 2018, where he joined them as a director of player personnel. He learned under Brandon Bean, also a former Panther, for three years before returning home here in 2021. And now, in 2024, right at the beginning, being named GM and president of Football Ops. This is somebody that has been on that side for almost 15 years now. I I don't know what he's going to do. I would have rather gone for an outside name. But, Wes, there's just nothing that we can know. I tried looking, like, deep in the vault of some of the moves that he might have been a part of. 
I remember when Brandon Bean was being widely celebrated for him getting that job up in Buffalo, when he was a, a integral voice in signing Mario Addison for to the practice squad, and then he would have a really good career, especially from somebody that was signed from the practice squad. Like, where were you, where were your Mario Addisons? Where were your guys that were you know really diamond in the rough type of players that you found? I really couldn't find anything. So let us know on the text line if there are players that come to mind. But Wes. I don't know how it's going to work out. All I know is that I know things can change despite him coming from the same regime. And I'm going to give him a shot. I'm hoping that it can all work out for Carolina. But I understand why people are underwhelmed. Yeah, and I think that, you know, it's going to be interesting because if he does succeed, it's going to be like, man, I wonder. It makes you think about what were some of the things maybe he was thinking the whole time. Did he see things that were wrong with what Fitterer was doing? Did he and Fitterer ever, you know, have disagreements, which obviously they did, about players and what they thought? And so I, I would just wonder if he comes in and has success, what is he going to do, you know, differently to be able to make that happen? I also wonder if they're going to continue to bring guys in to the organization, like a capologist. Don't know what this means for Samir Suleiman. I would think so. So are, are there going to be multiple people at the front? And it felt like that last time, but Scott Fitterer was the main guy. Dan Morgan's going to be the guy. He has two titles. <laughs> he has GM and he's president of football ops. But I do wonder if they're going to go elsewhere, maybe bring in another outside guy. You know, David Tepper, who did this last year where he tried to get a bunch of different minds that were considered smart in their field. And I just hope everybody's on the same page. I don't know if you can, I don't know if that matters as much in the front office as it does on the coaching, on the field, on the coaching staff. Like you can have the money guy along with the personnel guy, and then maybe that can be a better relationship. But we'll see what David Tepper and the Carolina Panthers continue to do moving forward. We'll have plenty more for you on the coaching front. In fact, we're going to talk about Frank Smith as a potential coaching candidate. Travis Wingfield of MiamiDolphins.com. He joins us as Brian Callahan goes to Tennessee after I fell in love with Brian Callahan for about 18 hours. He's now the head coach of Tennessee. We move on. Could Frank Smith be a good candidate? We'll break him down coming up next. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba da ba ba ba. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Thanks for joining us. We'll be here with you until 3 p.m. And you can text us on the text line 704. 570-9610. Again, that number 
is 704-570-9610. We got a couple of text messages rolling in on whether they are okay with Dan Morgan being that general manager and president of football operations for the Carolina Panthers. 704 number said, no, outside GM candidates wouldn't go work for Tepper because Tepper has to have it his way because he's worth $20 billion and he's never wrong in his mind. Um, we have that one from 704. Fathead and Rock Hill 3 says, I think people are most upset about Morgan who are people who have never bought a PSL ticket. We have group text. We have a group text of our section in 527. Shout out to section 527. Okay. And we're excited. He was a high IQ player and learned from great Seattle and Buffalo front offices. And Julius Peppers has spoke in support of him. That's from Tim in Rock Hill. And so I think a lot of people are happy that you could find a nice, happy medium of somebody that has history with the organization that also put the time in, Wes, and anybody that knows him is getting a ringing endorsement. Well, not only that, too, you know, when you look at some of the recent trends of some of the players now, former players that are stepping in as, you know, to GM roles and things of that nature, you automatically think of John Lynch and you think of some other people. So I do like that aspect of it, too. I feel like Dan is a guy, you know, if I was to point to positives, I feel like Dan's a guy that, you know, he's put in his work, as you said, and he's got the playing experience to know what will work and what doesn't. And not to say that you can't do the job if you don't, but I like the fact that Dan Morgan, I think talent evaluation is going to be a strong suit of his. I hope so. I know it hasn't been great in the scouting department the last few years, but I sure hope so. Yeah, a lot of people underwhelmed, but we'll see. Uh, there are reasons to be optimistic. I know yeah. that. All right, let's go to the Body Works Plus guest hotline and let's continue our breakdown of some of the potential Panthers head coach candidates. Let's break down Frank Smith today with Travis Wingfield, the Drive Time host of the Drive Time podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins podcast network. You can also find his work on MiamiDolphins.com. Travis, thank you so much for the time, man. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you guys doing? I appreciate you having me on today to talk about a, a man that is uh, one of the nicer coordinators I've been around in my, my career here, so uh, looking forward to it. Well, I like that. I like nice. I know everybody wants the alpha football guy, but I also <laughs> like some right. nice, too. Like I, w- I would like to be able to speak to that. Is that what do you think? Yeah, no, that's fine. You could be a nice guy okay. as long as you you know get the job done when the duty calls. I, I, I think most people are, anybody who's out on Frank Smith or skeptical of Frank Smith is out because he's not the play caller, right? We had this same conversation with Brian Callahan about him, and then he's since been named the head coach of Tennessee. But Travis, what is the role of Frank Smith within that Miami Dolphins offense? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting point you talk about the play calling because Mike McDaniel was the same way there under Kyle Shanahan. Mm-hmm. I think that the thing that you look at the most with Frank Smith is the ability to put together a game plan. And not just you know a general game plan, but specific things like red zone, third down. He's one of the key guys that Mike McDaniel leans on for designing this offense and putting it in a position where it was number one in the NFL for most of the year before uh, falling off to number two in the last week of the season. But yeah, he's just one of the strongest designers I would say and then his ability to fit the scheme to what his players do best like this offense was so flexible throughout the year because of injuries I mean Tyreek Hill played I think it was 63% of the snaps offensively Jalen Waddell played 55% of the snaps so he had to find roles for you know rookie running back like Devon Achan uh, Raheem Mostert to be his his red zone production running back with 20 was a 21 total touchdowns he had this year and just kind of finding a way to mix the offense for what they had available every single week, which I think is one of the most important things for a head coaching candidate or offensive, you know, minded coach in that sense is to be able to maximize your player's skill. So I think that he was a big part of that, probably number two behind McDaniel in terms of 
how this offense was built this year. Travis, what was his relationship with uh, Tua like this year? Yeah, they, they it's I guess Daryl Bevel, Frank Smith, and Mike McDaniel were three of the guys I think Tua would point to as guys that really kind of changed the arc of his career. And I think that Frank Smith's ability to communicate with his quarterback and all of his players is probably the most important thing that he he features in that sense because he just he, he just kind of gets it. He's been around so much football. He's been around some top teams. He coached Drew or was on the same staff that coached Drew Brees. For, for a few years there in New Orleans. So I think that he understood what Tua's strengths are. Obviously, we all know about Tua's, you know, I guess we'll call them limitations. Um, but he really just, the ability to maximize the strengths at the quarterback position, like I mentioned in the previous answer, was very evident this year and how they were able to, you know, find what he likes and do the things that he likes best. And, uh, Frank Smith's a big part of that. So when you look at that, going, going off of that one as well, and we know that Tua doesn't have the most, uh, the strongest of arms, and we know that size-wise he's not the prototypical NFL quarterback, but is that an appropriate comp to compare Tua and Bryce, and would Smith be able to seamlessly work with you know, Bryce if, if they indeed are, in your opinion? Yeah, I think that you know Bryce's ability to navigate the pocket and, and just make more plays scrambling is a big difference in his skill set compared to Tua's. And you know, you're not the number one pick in the draft if you don't have some proclivity for how you see the field and operate and, and read defenses. And I think that's where the comparison can be made for those two guys, because we saw, you know, Bryce's ability to create at Alabama was certainly the, the biggest part of, I think what made him that high pick. But I think when you kind of open up the, the playbook there and look at what he did best there, and you guys would know more than I would this year with Carolina, but I thought when he was able to play on structure and in time, he was a, a pretty dang good quarterback, which just didn't happen that frequently for the Panthers this year. But I think that there's some comps there, but I think where you get a little bit more, interesting and what I would always have always wanted to see from whether it's a Shanahan offense or a Mike McDaniel offense is they haven't really had that athletic quarterback that can beat you in the running game and that was kind of the thought with Trey Lance there but I think that Bryce Young could potentially you know expand upon this outside zone scheme that does so well to stretch defenses not just vertically but horizontally and then the ability for the quarterback to kind of keep the ball and come out the backside that's a big added element this offense hasn't really had in the past that maybe Bryce Young could give them. And then do you feel like after the Miami game, because I thought that the game plan that Miami had, obviously the weather played into it. They got a bit conservative. But then the way that they performed against some of the top teams, was there criticism of this offense when it came to playing high-quality competition? Yeah, it was just a struggle towards the back end of the year. And obviously a very fun season for us. Really, you know, the, probably the top three teams in AFC in Buffalo, Baltimore, and KC uh, went one by one to end the Dolphins' season this year. But you talk about the game in Kansas City. I think the elements were a big part of that. But also, this offense just didn't really have a whole lot of time on the grass together because both Waddle and Mostert got hurt in the Dallas game, which was Week 16. And they their only practice from that game to the playoff game was the one practice the Dolphins had that week because they were coming on a, off of a short week playing on Sunday to Saturday, and they only hit the practice field one time. And you saw Tyreek Hill left practice the, the week before twice to go tend to his uh, burned <laughs> burning down house. So they they were not getting a lot of reps on the grass together. I think that was a, the biggest reason to me why the offense fluttered down the stretch. Travis Wingfield of MiamiDolphins.com joining us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline talking about a potential Panthers head coach candidate in Frank Smith. 
And Travis, I just wanted to continue to look at the scheme of this Dolphins offense. I know Frank Smith said earlier this year that motion and shifts, it was the bedrock of what they do. Also, I just wanted to know how much play action was involved. Like, What, what were some of the things that the Dolphins did so well in order to help themselves with just the, the, the kind of offense that they would run in order to help Tua and in order to help some of their fast receivers on the outside? Yeah, it's a great question. And you, you talked about one of two parts I'll, I'll mention here. Number one is the play action game because – I think Miami probably had the best play-action game in the NFL this year, and this is something that if you guys do wind up having Frank Smith, it'll be a, a philosophy they, they operate with, in the, with with Carolina as well, is they, they come off the football differently than other schemes do. And it's, it's basically, you know, fire off and sell that run action, and then from there we can kind of pivot into pass pro. And it really stretches that middle portion of the field, which we know Tua you know, is so dynamic with the intermediate passing game going to both Waddle and Tyreek, and that's built off of the play-action and running game. So they can – you know, stretch you horizontally with the outside zone scheme, get those linebackers that are, you know, trying to play the hook zone. They're they're conflicted on whether to play downhill or go back into coverage. And then I think the biggest thing that the Panthers fans could be excited about if this is the hire they make is just how this scheme and I think Frank Smith would be would be part of that. They can mitigate pass protection issues that we've seen the Panthers have for a couple of years now. And it's the ball comes out so fast and the ability to give quick and easy reads that works off of that play action. I don't think any offensive system in the league kind of negates edge rushers like this Dolphins offensive attack, attack did this year. And so if you're trying to kind of try to steal some yards while you develop and get more personnel that's better talented in, in the building, this is a good way to do it with, with this scheme that has been pretty effective at that, regardless of who the personnel is uh, offensively. Travis Wingfield of MiamiDolphins.com joins us on the Body Works Plus Guest Hotline. And, Travis, you were just talking about the offensive line. You were talking about uh, trying to stretch teams horizontally with the zone scheme. And so we know with a lot of the Panthers linemen, that's something that they did not particularly enjoy uh, this season. They felt like they were best served to be able to fire off straight ahead. Now, who knows what the Panthers were doing free agency in the draft, but do you think that with – Panthers offensive linemen already saying that that scheme didn't necessarily fit their skill sets, that that is going to be a plus for Frank Smith bringing that type of scheme here. Yeah, that's really interesting because I think you do have to, as, as a coach, you know, find a way to maximize the, the talent that you do have because you can't just come in there and change the entire 53-man roster your first year. So I, I didn't know about that. That's, that's an interesting dynamic that they'd have to deal with uh, if, if they did make that hire in Frank Smith. But I think that you know, in addition to having that rookie quarterback on the or the, the quarterback on the rookie contract affords you obviously more flexibility and free agency. And there's a couple of Dolphins offensive linemen that are going to be free agents this year too. Maybe Frank Smith would bring some of those guys with him <laughs> to Carolina. But mm-hmm. I think I think that if you go back this year, I think you know I talked about the practice time as a big issue for the Dolphins offense. I think the next thing that they didn't have all year was kind of a counterpunch, and that was what you saw in some of those big games against you know the more physical playoff-ready football teams that, that beat Miami all year long was they kind of had a physical element inside that Miami could not match. So I think for the Dolphins this year, one of the keys is going to be getting bigger on the inside, maybe having more of that man-gap scheme where you can kind of just put your head down and run forward. So I think that whether Frank Smith is here or there, I think he knows the value of just how important it is to be able to line up and, and go you know mono e mono on the inside. Great rundown of Frank Smith, a potential Panthers head coaching candidate right here uh, being talked about on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. That is the voice of Travis Wingfield. You can find him on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Go check out his content. He's host of the Drive Time Podcast part of the Dolphins Podcast Network and writer for MiamiDolphins.com. Travis, that was great stuff, man. We really appreciate it. Anytime. Thank you, guys. Frank Smith, 
the last uh, breakdown that we just had. Now we can include that alongside a Dave Canales breakdown, also with a Brian Callahan breakdown. Problem is, Callahan's going to Tennessee. Mm-hmm. So he's the new head coach of the Titans after they decide to move on from Vrabel. Let's break down some of those comments from Frank Smith or about Frank Smith. Wes, is there anything that you liked in particular about what Travis was speaking to there? Well, obviously, you know, the thing you like about Frank Smith on top is the things that you hear about what a great, you know, guy he is. He talked about how nice he is. You see, when you look up uh, his information, the the relationship he had with Darren Waller and how much players feel like he really, really cares about him. So that's one thing. But, you know, just the style. I mean, he plays that classic style of run the ball, play action passing. Um, and, and so I thought that that was interesting in the similarities between Tua and Bryce being kind of undersized passers, even though Tua's a little bit bigger. But that, you know, he said that he feels like that this scheme would fit Bryce just fine and really going to showcase his talents. And so uh, the thing that I was most interested in, too, though, when you look at uh, some of the offensive linemen that will be available in free agency, and he was talking about uh, guys who could come in and, and help immediately, like Robert Hunt, who's viewed by many as one of the top guards out there that will be available in free agency. And Connor Williams, in some circles, is considered the top center that's going to be available in free agency. So can he be able to lure one or two of those guys here uh, to come play with him in Carolina? Because that would be huge. I mean, those are two of the biggest positions of need here for this offense. Yeah, we have a, f- a couple of members of the text line that are scared of the same thing. Panther Bo said, well, Frank Smith just got hired by the Chargers. Just kidding. <laughs> I really was looking. He got me. Like, for a second, I went to Twitter, and I opened up. I started typing, Frank Smith. Well, that's the feeling Gas House Earl is rolling with on the on the text line. He said, you guys have on the guest to talk about a possible coach. I start liking them. Then he signs with another team. Please stop. All right. Hey. Well, we. Well, what do you want us to talk? I don't about? know what to do. I don't know what to do because you're right. Like if if we start liking them, because people are starting to like what Frank Smith is about here. It was a great breakdown of how you were able to utilize the specific skill set that the Miami Dolphins have on their roster and get that offense to thrive. I, it, they did thrive for most of the season, and that's why Smith is getting so many looks. You do got to wonder, Walker. Like if if Frank Smith goes somewhere else other than Carolina, and let's say it happens today. Maybe we have a show curse, and we've got to cancel all our future interviews this week, breaking down these head coaching candidates. Maybe so. Because if we interview, if we interview and talk about them, they're not going to come here to Carolina. We have John McClain on, legend. Oh yeah, he's an institution. Yeah. Institution tomorrow to discuss Bobby Slowick. If we talk about Bobby Slowick, <laughs> and then he gets hired by. Let's even say the Atlanta Falcons, if they decide not to go with Bill Belichick, that's how I know some funny business would be going on because it uh, it's it's not all said and done about Belichick, but they just keep interviewing all the guys that the fans here want the Panthers to interview. Yeah. And then they take away Bobby Slowick from us where people are excited about him. Then the show has become too powerful and we need to find a way to balance <laughs> the force as much well, as we possibly power can. Comes great responsibility. I know both of y'all had to grow up watching the old like NFL top tens on NFL network. Right? Oh, yeah. It, it was not a legitimate top ten unless you saw John McClain. Like, like when, when he showed up, you knew it was a legitimate. It was it was a legitimate list. Yeah, That's that the kind of power that man has. Really nice guy too. Yeah, awesome dude. If you text him, then it's going to be a speaking of nice. John McClain, Frank Smith. I'm here for all the positivity because John is texting you back. Oh, that'd be great. Let me get back and check my schedule. Would love to be on at this time if that works for you. It's like you know what, John. Like it. 
even if you were kind of a jerk to me, I like would understand. So many yeah. people are asking you, so I appreciate John. And he's scheduled to join us tomorrow at 1220 also. I'm the same way if you ever decide to text me, Walker. Very cordial ever text. No, you get <laughs> mad. You get frustrated. And then if I forget something, you ask to you're criticizing me when i forget the jersey and you said i texted him at 4 30 4 30 mm-hmm. like the time matters so anytime we do text you're just going to complain about what happens afterwards i i did want to mention the brian callahan thing real quickly because uh, all jokes aside i really did start to like him as a candidate would have been more than happy with him as a head coach tennessee they pounced on him man so one of the earlier coaches hired, like it, it feels like Wes with all of the excitement, all of the attention going to some of these other offensive coordinators, Smith up there, certainly Slowick. We can go down the line. Callahan was a late riser and then immediately got a job. He was due for a second interview here in Carolina. And it feels like one of those moments where Tennessee just did not want him to go to a second interview. We see this all the time with free agency, right? Don't let them out the door. Don't let them out of the building. If you let them out of the building, you're not going to get them. And then they go sign with another team, despite you maybe having a great conversation. They didn't want Callahan to get out of there. And so they're like, look, before you interview with Carolina, you're going to be the head coach here of this Titans organization. Wes, they were in a little bit of a, they were in a similar uh, situation as we are. They drafted a QB last year too, where he showed you some nice things. Like Will Levis, I think, considering expectations where he was drafted to, I thought performed pretty well. Oh, he looks like a guy that, you know, he keeps on working. He's going to be a a really good starting quarterback. And so two teams in Tennessee and Carolina, both teams looking for probably an offensive mind to help groom your young quarterback. Tennessee decided, well, we like this guy enough to where we're cool waiting it out and not hiring Ben Johnson. We're cool waiting it out, not hiring Bobby Slowick. We need to pounce on him now because I know we like this guy. Should we take anything away from that as Panthers fans? Yeah, uh, I don't think so. I mean, like I said, I felt like with with the hire Callahan, and we talked about this pre-show, I felt like that if the Panthers really wanted him, I felt like they would have gotten him already. I think that he was an option for him. I think he was a nice option, but I think if they really would have wanted to lock him down, they would have moved quickly to be able to do so. I think one of the guys, or if not their guy, obviously we know Ben Johnson is the apple of their eye, but I feel like they want somebody that's in the playoffs right now, or I feel like this would have been a higher made already. So does that mean no Slowick or Canales? Um, those are interesting ones too. I mean, we still got a lot of week left, so I think that if they won't really wanted one of those guys, I think, something would get done before the weekend, I would think. I would think. I mean, I don't know how these hiring processes go, how well, long no, they take. It's, it, no, it's not. a. It, it's an interesting point just because you can't interview Ben Johnson right now. Yeah. You did interview him already. I guess you could you could name him that head coach, even the, if there's not an interview. The Baltimore I, guys. Yeah, the Baltimore guys I don't think are going to get this job. I just don't think they're going defensive-minded, and I don't think Todd Munkin is going to be the guy that gets it over any of the other offensive coordinators. I wouldn't expect that. Um, But it feels like they're waiting for Ben Johnson's availability and to see if they have a shot. And if they don't have it, then they'll go to Dave and Bobby Slowick. But maybe those guys get hired, too, in the meantime. Maybe so. there, There are enough enticing names to where you're going to get a good name anyway, though. And we've talked about that quite a bit.
Vinny, you were sighing. Maybe we can get to your frustration, maybe in a little bit. You were sighing. You were like. He's always frustrated. Yeah, he was. He was disappointed in something. Uh, maybe you're going to be disappointed in Charlotte Hornets' conversation on the other side of the break. I said maybe. Hmm. Now he's frustrated again. Hmm. Terry Rozier gets traded to the Miami Heat. What do we think about getting Kyle Lowry and a 2027 first-round pick in return? What are your initial thoughts? You can text us, 704-570-9610. We talk about that on the other side of the break here on Wesson Walker. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. And Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Terry Rogier, no longer a member of the Charlotte Hornets. Thanks for joining us. You can text us your thoughts on the Terry Rogier trade, 704-570-9610-980. Texted in West saying, I like the move for Rogier. Maybe we can flip some of the picks for Carl Anthony Towns, Laurie Markinen, Zion Williamson. Nine, there are a whole new la- there's a whole new land of opportunity in 980's mind. I like it. Going after Zion now, Markinen. Mm. I don't think the 2027 lottery protected first is going to get us into that conversation, but I do like the optimism. We can continue on. Chuck T wrote in Hey, yo, I say we try to move Kyle Lowry to somewhere like the Nets, but what could we get in return? Yeah, we'll figure that out in a moment, but that's the return, right? You trade Terry Rozier for Kyle Lowry. He has an over $29 million uh, year left on his deal before it expires, and so he's not going to be on the books going into this offseason. You get Kyle Lowry, and then you also get that 2027 lottery-protected first-round pick. If it does not convey it moves to 2028 and it becomes unprotected. So here are my thoughts before we do the Terry Rozier eulogizing of his time here in Charlotte. And and there are are some things that we need to note because what Terry did for a team that could not get out of the play in tournament, I'll appreciate it. Like there's not a lot to appreciate. I'll appreciate what Terry did. As far as the trade goes, I see a lot of people not thrilled about the return, but Wes, you got to go back to last year when there were reports that the Hornets were trying to trade Terry Rozier. And he wasn't having a good season. Now, there are reasons for that. Lots of players were out. You were still undergoing the injury problem. Terry gets moved from this role to that role. You don't have LaMelo, and the shooting is way down. And he also wasn't a very good pick-and-roll guy, smart decision-maker. That changed a lot this year. He broke the notion that you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Here he is at 29 years old, still learning how to navigate the pick and roll game. And NBA University, they tweeted out an advanced metric site that he was one of the top 10 most efficient pick and roll ball handlers in all the association. So the dude not only was giving you smart pick and roll ball handling, also was shooting well, 
shooting well inside the three-point arc. He was having a career year. He really was. And so the only problem is, do teams feel like this is the real Terry you're going to get when he comes to our team? Or is he going to get to anything close to the way he was performing last year when they couldn't get anything but a second-round pick in return? They were trying to trade him. And I think they probably would have if there was any reason to do so based off of the package coming back. And it just wasn't big enough. It was probably like 60 cents on the dollar, something like that. And so I like what they were able to do here, getting a lottery protected first. That matters. But Wes, also, how many times have you seen picks drop 14 spots in protection after one season? Usually you see that kind of protection lifted if you move on from five years. Like that's when it happens to, okay, it's lottery protected, top 10, top eight, top eight. Then it moves to second round picks. But you don't even have to worry about that anymore. All you have to do is, okay, if the Miami Heat do not make the playoffs and they're in the lottery in 2027, that means you get an unprotected first for a team that didn't make the playoffs the previous year. It's a valuable asset. Whether you see this thing through or not, whether you draft somebody in 27 or 28, that is a valuable asset that many GMs would love to have. And so that's why I understand why they did it during a season where they're not going to the play-in tournament. They're not going anywhere. Tip of the cap to Terry, who wanted to go to Miami. It was his preferred destination. And so on top of it, the cherry on top is that you don't continue to build this terrible reputation that you have with NBA analysts and players, and you do your player a solid by sending him to where he wanted to go and get a protected first that turns unprotected a year later. Yeah, I mean, all those points that you made are great. We know with Miami, we know that there are not many years that they're going to be down. More than likely, this pick is not going to be in the lottery. But as you said, you never know from year to year. In 2027, a lot of the Heat stars will be older players, and we don't know the direction that they'll go going forward. So you're right, that is very valuable. I just I didn't like keeping him in the Eastern Conference, especially I know divisions don't matter in basketball, but this is the guy you're going to have to see all of the time now to come back to haunt you. So that's the only minus that I really have with that. But at the end of the day, you wanted to see progress. You wanted to see them start to change things around a little bit from a culture perspective, this, that, and a third. And so I think that that does that. You got Terry, I guess, at the highest value you could get him at this point. And so it will be interesting to see what he does for Miami because I think this is a big hit for Miami if he continues to play this kind of ball, not to say that he's going to go there and average 23 points a game because he automatically drops in the pecking order when you talk about him going to this Heat team when Bam and Jimmy, they're going to eat first and then it's going to be Terry. But Terry will still have his nights where he'll show you what he's been showing you all season. And I think the big thing, too, was, you know, the selflessness that he showed, being able to go to that point guard position when injuries were there, being able to make plays for other guys, elevate other guys' play. Uh, I think, you know, that's something that he'll bring to Miami. And we know that that organization definitely does their due diligence with players because of the heat culture. So I know they feel like that Terry's a guy that could get there and assimilate. Now, defensively, we'll see what that looks like going forward. But, uh, you know, as you said, reputation standpoint, showing guys that, hey, if you come to Charlotte, we'll treat you right. We'll sing you where you want to go if it doesn't work out. Terry did some great years of service here, and uh, they rewarded him by sending him where he wanted to go. Terry Rozier came in with a reputation of being a little bit of a malcontent and broke that reputation immediately. First season here in Charlotte. That wasn't true. 
the late great Rick Bennell talked all about that when they traded Kimba Walker in that sign and trade deal just so they could get something in return when Kimba was going to leave. So many people dismissed the fact that this was a real trade. People laughed at the idea, oh, you're calling it a trade? This isn't a trade. They're getting Terry Rozier for the best player in Hornets franchise history? Please. Getting Terry Rozier, this doesn't matter that much. And then on top of that, you're giving him what people considered a bad contract? This is worse. You did something worse. And that wasn't true. He actually turned that into an over $20 million a year contract, the second signing that he had here in Charlotte. And so the fact that he broke the mold, there are plenty of things to talk about with him. The first season that he's here as point guard, Devontae Graham has this mini breakout, becomes a guy that Luka Doncic and other stars are saying should win most improved player of the year award. And when that guy is one of the better players on your team, and he's clearly a point guard, way too small to be a combo, Terry Rozier has to change positions again. And Terry told you at the All-Star break that year, yeah, man, it was tough. Here I come to Charlotte thinking that I'm going to play one way. And because of Devontae's emergence, I got to play something different. I got to change the way that I play. And it was really hard. But I was able to navigate through it. And it became a really clutch player that had a nice second half to that season. So here's somebody that was viewed as a malcontent, but now is doing what is best for the team. And I tell you, PR, people in that building, they love Terry Rozier. And I have become to love I've come to love Terry Rozier too because the way that he handles media and just how nice of a guy that he is, like could not be anything further from the truth of what we heard about the bad things surrounding him in Boston. And then you leave the franchise as the fifth leading scorer in Charlotte Hornets history, 10th all-time on the assist list, 10th all-time on the steals list, third all-time and three-pointers made. He gave us a nice clutch fourth quarter again after having two back-to-back years, Wes, of being among the best clutch scorers, not just within the Eastern Conference, but within the entire NBA. That dude was up there with the greats, better than the greats when it came to clutch scoring. We got great Eric Collins calls because of what Terry Rozier. Two beauties. Yeah. Humdiddly T. Rowe. <laughs> I'm going to miss that stuff, man. Yeah. And this is somebody that was able to perform that way in an unexpected way. Off the heels of losing our best player in franchise history. And he gave us something. He was able to keep the lights on a little bit. He bridged the gap to LaMelo Ball. He was able to play some hero ball for you when you desperately needed a hero, watching them drastically underperform. Yeah. So tip of the cap to Terry. I'm glad that he's going to Miami. I'm glad that he's playing for a team that he wants to. I'm glad that he's in an environment he wants to be in. And I can't wait to see what he's going to do in a legitimate playoff run. They're coming for it. We know how Miami operates in the postseason, and he's going to fit heat culture perfectly. Excited to see what he's going to do. It's Wesson Walker Sports Radio, 92.7 WFNZ. Two more hours to go. It's the Campus Corner coming up next right here on 92.7 FM. If you miss Kyle Bailey earlier.